Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. He is Austin Roblard. I am Ian Heston. Austin, two games away from home and two defeats for Inter-Miami as they fall back down to earth a little bit on this road swing, the first one of the season. Not getting a goal, we'll talk about that, and also the injury bug, international duty coming up. Uh, we'll, we'll see what's going on with the roster as we get ready for a return home against the Chicago Fire to Drive Pink Stadium this Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. We'll be back in the Drive Pink Stadium, home of your Inter-Miami CF. Uh, but let's start there, Austin, with the defeat, a 2-0-1 to Toronto FC, a game that really, from from what I've been talking about the past couple of weeks in terms of looking for offense, it wasn't there. They had a shot on goal in the sixth minute, a shot on goal in the ninth minute, a shot on goal in the 14th minute, and outside of that, absolutely nothing. No offensive creation, no opportunities, no chances, and something that looked a, a little bit reminiscent of 2020 where they could not find any way to even create an opportunity that looked like a goal. They played well in that first half, gave up maybe a, a little cheeky goal in the second half that sparked into two in the ultimate defeat, but never really looked, at least as we start this conversation, like they were threatening on goal, like they had the opportunity to score, like they were on the front foot in a game away from home. Yeah, it, it's it was a very frustrating loss, to say the least. I mean, not there was not a lot going for them. The midfield uh, really struggled to cope with without Gregory. I, I don't think that the the game plan really worked out for Phil Neville and his side. Uh, Toronto kind of had control in the game for most of the time. And like you said, I mean, it, it, it shows when you look at the, the shots, Miami weren't creating chances. They weren't holding possession in good areas. Um, Toronto was able to just get the better of them in almost every single facet of the game. And even with Drake calendar, making some outstanding saves, it, this time it really was not enough against New York. It wasn't enough because of the own goal now against Toronto. It's not enough. Miami have to find a way to produce offense away from home. Luckily for them, obviously they're going home to sh- they're going home to drive pink to play against Chicago this Saturday, which we're going to talk about. Hopefully, offense comes back a little bit um, without some of the the international players that we will discuss later on. But I, I think it's it's honestly more frustrating than anything because we've said it what three weeks in a row now talking about these away matches and how they have not been able to score away from home, going all the way back to 2021 and 2022, and they've just not been able to get past that. And I think that it's going to hinder their season. If it continues, you'll see another seven, six seed. If this continues, because your form at home is not as important in MLS as it is away from home, because everybody's winning home games in MLS. Everybody has home field advantage in MLS. It's what you do away from home that separates you from the rest. And Miami really have to step it up and hopefully they can start finding some form back again at drive pink. I think, this home game comes at a really good time. and One home really game before improve. they go right back on the road with Cincinnati on the horizon. We'll worry about that when we get there. But immediately, the, the thing that jumped out on the page for you was right off the bat, who was going to fill in for Gregory? Was it going to be Bryce Duke? Was it going to be Robert Taylor? Perhaps Victor Uoa? Where were they going to go with that? It wound up being Bryce Duke on the call in that same, if you want to call it a 4-2-3-1, if you want to call it a 4-4-2 diamond, Depending on how you want to look at it, I don't really think that you can call it the 4-4-2 diamond until Campana comes back because simply there isn't a second striker there. Uh, but but let's say a 4-2-3-1 for now with Bryce being more of an 8, Molta being more of a 6, holding more with that sort of staggered uh, central midfield. 
what did you think of Bryce Duke as he got accustomed to something that really a position that he's never played before in his career? Yeah, I don't really think Bryce Duke is this like right. six eight hybrid that we've seen from Gregory these last couple of matches. It didn't it didn't fit him well. It's not where you know he is to shine. I think Bryce Duke as a number ten makes the most sense. He can be creative. He can be flashy. He can combine with other players. He's not necessarily the foundation of the buildup when he's playing a number 10 role. And here he was more of the foundation of the buildup and that doesn't suit him. He needs to be on the front end of the buildup play where he can end up executing those line breaking passes or line breaking maneuvers in any type of way, whether it's a dribble, a pass, a run in behind. That's where Bryce Duke is, is to shine. And I think that playing him in that very weird double pivot with Jean Mota uh, and Stefanelli in front just didn't work out the way they, they would have wanted. I think even at times we saw Pizarro like yeah, had that was dropped in and Bryce Duke had ended up going out wide. And I just think it was very interesting. I just think there were too many things going on. There was too much to figure out. It was a little bit too complicated, even though they probably tried to make it simple. Um, it's just a huge loss that you really cannot. Gregory is a huge loss that you really can't put into words when you see it on the pitch is where it all comes from. Bryce Duke, I still – I. I rate Bryce Duke very highly. It's just that him in this role is not going to work. And I doubt it's something that we see going forward. And if we do, it'll yeah, be a very I, I wonder capacity. more immediately, and perhaps it's a conversation for later where you go then though, with, with Robert Taylor out for international duty this coming weekend, there isn't really a, another natural fit for perhaps Victor. You is the only one, but again, as I talked about last week, he hasn't gone a full 90 in, in how many years now. So um, we haven't really seen that from him. You know, got the chance earlier today as we're as we're recording on on Thursday early afternoon. Um, th this morning, I got to talk to Benjamin Kramashi um, and, and really had an interesting conversation with him about him working with Jean Mota about trying to figure out how to be that eight six hybrid that we've talked about. But he's still a little young, still a little unproven. He, one thing that I did notice right off the bat, he's he has bulked up a lot compared to last year. I mean, just talking to him like one v one in person. Um, he's a lot stronger than he was last year, but but thinking about this in the macro, where where do you turn if it's not Bryce? Because you know Bryce sort of overlaps Stefanelli at times, sort of overlaps Pizarro at times, and, and it winds up being this uh, like amoeba like thing that doesn't fit structurally to understand where people are supposed to go, what roles should be defined, and how that midfield can control the game a little better. Something that looked so good in the first two weeks, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're scrambling, it seems like, to figure out who's going where and why. I'm actually going to play an Uno reverse card because I want to hear your thoughts on it. You mentioned something in our little chat earlier today, a right. possibility of a 4-1-4-1. How does that work? Because I think that that makes the most sense. So I, I think that it's flat. I think it has to be a flat 4-1-4-1. Mota is stuck at a six. We're done with the, the possible of transitionary offense. Yeah. It's unfortunate because he's so good at that. We've talked about the long shots. That's not going to be possible for you. Unfortunately, in this system, you have two wingbacks that just like to go too high. And, and you're going to need Mota to be that solitary six that will be almost like that third center back like Gregory was trying to be. If you can do that, you create a four four high straight across with Pizarro on the left. I'd probably put Coco on the right because he's been more of the winger. And then Stefanelli and Duke can play off each other. That way it puts Bryce Duke more of a natural position 
right? Everybody's more in a natural, comfortable position. I can tell uh, Coco that he has responsibility for Yedlin when he comes up. I can tell Pizarro that he has responsibility when Negri comes up. If I can establish those, then I can play in the same style that I was, hold my defensive integrity, and maybe even get a little more offense out of it that we haven't seen happen, especially with, with an offense that needs to start going from their talisman, from their goal scores. We haven't really seen offensive – you talked about this last week beautifully – that we haven't really seen a build-up goal as a team goal yet. And so for me, that switch, granted, that's, that's very hard to do mid-season or, or like, you know, within a week. But a 4-1-4-1, in essence, right. can really play like a 4-3-3 just with those two playing wide as up top and the two, the two center attacking mids yeah. making that triangle in the middle. So if you think of it more like that, it makes a little bit more sense with the wingbacks getting high. And that's where I think you can adapt a little more naturally to positions, but not stylistically with how Phil wants to play. I think, too, with that, it's it's a lot of it would come down to the role of Stefanelli and where you end up having him. Because Stefanelli, and this is something that a lot of people are talking about now, who's going to fill in that striker? And we'll get to that. If let's say there was a, at least in this Toronto game, if we can go back and, and play this game in hindsight and you have Joseph up top and you play a four, one, four, one, and you have Bryce Duke and Stefanelli, they're the same starting lineup. Stefanelli can venture a little bit more forward, give Bryce Duke meet uh, like some freedom in the, in the middle of the pitch. And then you have two players to play off of up in front. John Mota can stay in behind. Pizarro can also carry inside because there were times last, there were times, well, not last year, I guess it was two seasons ago when he was here. Um, one game that I remember was in Atlanta in like September, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it was August where Bryce or where Rodolfo Pizarro played in this type of eight role that we hadn't seen from him before. And it kind of worked out pretty well. And I think it was actually in Gregory's absence leading up to a playoff run. If they, if they were trying to get there, I think it was like the, almost the exact same scenario. Gregory was out due to suspension. Pizarro filled in as an eight, and it was one of his better performances on the year. One of his better performance in Miami history, because there just aren't that many right now. And I think that the 4141 provides a lot of fluidity. And this is why I wanted you to bring it up because there are so many different ways that you can either progress the ball and players you push forward, or and there are different ways that you can defend and you can be solid in defense and you can be versatile going forward. And I think that that's what we've seen from Phil Neville. He likes to have formations where his players can do different things and play in certain areas where there is cover here and there is cover there and everything just changes and it's very fluid. And I think that that's something that it will provide. The one thing that it does ask for, though, and the responsibility is kind of tough, is exactly. the Jean right. Malta defensive duty. It's it's can he be disciplined and, enough and to stay the, in that area? And there is the huge weakness, especially against the four two three one, like Toronto implemented. Right, it, is that central part of the park really leaves you exposed into one v one battles. If we're talking about a four one four one versus a four two three one, and and I wish that I could throw yeah. graphics up to to better illustrate this, but you think about. Uh, a Bernadeschi would be 1v1 with Malta basically the entire game. A Bryce Duke would be 1v1 with Michael Bradley the entire game. And right. a Stefanelli would be 1v1 with Mark Anthony Kay the entire game. You are leaving yourselves in the position to have to win those battles to establish midfield dominance. And that can be very taxing on a team. You're, you're basically lining yourself tit for tat with, the, with a 4-2-3-1 in terms of responsibility and hoping that your numbers forward – push them backwards enough to not be able to advance. But the second that they're able to do that, 
if they were able to play through the center to get to Bernadetsky, there there was no chance that that you're going to consistently win a one v one v one battle for ninety minutes because, like we saw with the first goal, all it takes is for him to win one time and he's right through and can score a goal. So that's sort of the trade off. And again, a Chicago team that also does, yeah. granted, not as talented um, as Toronto, but does play a similar style in that four two three one. Um, if, you know, let's see if Brian Rodriguez, who's, who's sort of that 10, um, is going to go for them with international duties and everything going on. Um, but, but we'll, we'll see. He also a very talented young player that could cause a lot of problems as that number 10 holding up things. It's sort of like what we expected Pizarro to be under, uh, Diego Alonso. If we go all the way back to there, that was sort of the idea of how, how th- this team yeah. would play. That's the the danger that you play if you if you switch to the four one four one. Yeah, I I would say that it makes sense to do it in the Chicago game more than it would have in the Toronto game, just because yes, as you said, the the personnel issues. Um, Chicago still without like two DPS, Federico Navarro, the CDM being one of them, so there yeah. is an advantage there with whoever else is in the midfield. I believe he's. I believe they said he was out. Him, Shakiri and. I forget the other name. Yeah, Shakiri's definitely, but they were, some of them have been called to international duty and then had rescinded the call-ups because of the injury and they're staying in Chicago, but I don't believe that they're going to be available this weekend. That's something to look for um, that we actually might talk about later tonight on the Twitch stream, if you're listening on Thursday. Um, so there's there's a lot to be said for, for what Phil Neville can do, and I think that we are going to have very long discussions on next week's podcast talking about what Phil Neville did do because it's it's very interesting, and right now there is no right answer. We don't know what works just yet. It's all speculation. It's all trying to project some kind of idea onto a field that, you know, in Gregory's absence, we don't really know how it works just yet. And I'm curious to go back and see results in, in games that Gregory was out uh, last year or the year before to see what that looks like, because it's probably going to be much. I, I'm hoping that they can turn the tide if it is much the same as it has. As Jairo it was Torres, against, the other Toronto. player for Chicago, that will be out. Uh, just so, so similarly along that defensive and and and, and low block front uh, that they'll be without come this weekend's game against Miami. As we're talking about the offense and trying to figure things out, let's give a little bit of an update on Campana. Uh, the hope was that he would be able to to well when we were talking this a couple weeks out, that he would be ready for Toronto. That wasn't the case. Also still not looking likely for this weekend against Chicago. With a road trip after that at Cincinnati, well, then you play, you're playing the odds on that. So potentially we're, we're sort of in wait-and-see mode. Uh, haven't seen him fully fit and fully in training yet. Uh, so, so that's also you know something to understand. Without... All of the the players that we're going to have this weekend, which, you know, is the second part of this conversation, but just without Campana, how big has his absence been? How can we sort of identify how big it is, given the past two weeks in the offensive woes, given the fact that we're now four weeks in without a clear-cut offensive, you know, identity of what this team's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, you look at everybody's preseason, at least anybody who's been around the team, you look at their preseason thoughts and ideas and predictions about how this team lines up. There are There's no lineup that doesn't have Campana and Joseph Martinez up front. And 
there's also probably no lineup that didn't expect some sort of diamond formation that was successful at the end of last year with Higuain and Campana up top. And I think without that, it's hard to get a gauge on where this team actually stands. They're not 100% healthy. Campana's not 100% healthy. Now you have international duty coming up. You lost your captain. I don't know when we will find out what this 2023 Miami side is. I don't know what the marker is to like actually define themselves, but I had talked about it with somebody from Chicago. We've seen two completely different teams between the first two games and the second two games. They don't look alike. If you had put neutral jerseys on them and you said that these are the same two teams, you would be shocked. You would not believe it. I don't think that we've seen a consistent side and it's because of these adaptations that they've had to make. Capano was supposed to start week one, 48 hours in advance, maybe even less than that. They were told he can't go. Then you have to switch up the game plan right before you end up getting the win. You go back to back at home against Philadelphia, get two wonder goals, right? To, to, to cement yourselves as like, oh, this is a really strong team in the Eastern Conference and maybe an MLS. Great. Now let's go on the road and score some more. And then they can't do it. They struggled to find control uh, against Toronto. They had some control against New York, still gave up a flurry of chances that Drake Callender stood on his head for. Toronto finally gets the open play goal that Miami were, you know, hoping that they could have lasted out longer. There's just, there's not enough right now. All the pieces are not there to say, yes, this is the Miami side we're going to see for all of 2023. When Campana comes back, I'll be a little bit more confident in saying that because we know Gregory's absence is going to take a while, but I, I, don't just say it's only on Campana. It's also on Phil Neville and figuring out what to do with the Gregory being out and everything that we just talked about for the last 10 minutes. That still needs to be solidified. That still needs to be figured out before I can say that this is the Miami side that we're going to see for the rest of 2023. That marker is You know, so one person that I think is, is oddly flown a little bit of under the radar in, in this two-game spell that we were praising for his play after the first two games is Rodolfo Bizarro. Let's keep in mind with Gregory out and with Campana out, the only designated player left in this roster right now is Rodolfo Pizarro. Hasn't really gotten a lot going in, in those two games uh, against yeah. New York City and against uh, Toronto. And perhaps for him, with all of this you know, situation in the midfield and figuring out what's going to be offensively creating, especially with an international window of which he's not a part of, he's still with Inter-Miami right now. This is an opportunity, I think, for him to take more of a responsibility. He has been... Fitting in very well as a team player, much, much to, to everybody's, you know, happiness. And, and that's great that Rodolfo looks happy. He looks to be enjoying his football, etc. But this could be a time for him to be a little more selfish, for him to show that carrying and, the, and that 1v1 technical skill that we're hoping still, you know, that he's still able to, to lark back on um, and, and to really uh, show. Because for me, if it's not coming from up top, if Stefanelli still looks to be trying to find his legs, if you've got confusion in the midfield, this is the perfect time for a player like Rodolfo Pizarro who just wants the ball at his feet, wants to run and challenge the whole world. Rodolfo, the, 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 you know, the world is yours. The world is a playground. Draw whatever painting of, of magisterial Ray Hudson madness he can come up with in, in his crazy analogies, right? Like, this is the perfect time for Rodolfo Pizarro to just go absolutely crazy in Chicago, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, I, I mean, where else does it come from? You've got no Joseph Martinez. You've got no Robert Taylor. Stefanelli isn't connecting. Bryce Duke might be in a role, a limited role, in terms of his offensive output. 
Jean Mota is not going to be able to do it because he's going to have to be more disciplined. You're going to probably throw on someone like Ariel Lasseter. Coco Jean out on the wing is not the kind of guy that that can really take over. This yeah, I mean, it, it just it all signs point to Bizarro. And I will say this. I think he had a really good performance in the first half of the New York well, City one FC. Half and four, I, I thought on. that there were moments that he showed. One half and four. Say again? Uh, I'm going to hold my designated players to higher standards. Well, fair. Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. No, 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 I agree. I, I don't think that over, overwhelmingly those two games, not good from Rodolfo Pizarro. There were moments in the first half that I thought against New York City that I thought he was – that was probably the best I have seen from him, and this might be a hot take, over the course of all 16 – or eight halves, I should say, that we've seen. Because a lot of people are praising his effort and for the, you know, the amount of, you know, time and effort he put into to making those carries, playing passes to teammates. I just didn't think he wasn't as effective at home. I think in the New York City game, he was pretty effective, and he was the reason why Joseph Martinez got two outstanding chances in the first half, albeit one was slightly offside. Um, it was all on Rodolfo Pizarro. It was the the pressure to win the throw-in and then make the throw into Stefanelli, and then it was also the cross into Joseph Martinez, who couldn't couldn't find the back of the net, but a lot of that came through Pizarro, and that's kind of what we're going to need, but also right. going to need even a little bit more. A little bit more and for a longer stretch of time. That's that's what you need from a DP. It's why he's here. Play. No one's going to fault you for being selfish in this game, Rado. No one is going to fault you for being selfish at all. So, right. you know, I mean, Andres is even reminding us, 2021, well, Pizarro scores against Chicago in the 93rd minute. Go ahead. Go do it again. I, I will I, I will sing praises. Like, I will, yeah. like, eat every hot take that I've had in all preseason, right? This is the time for him to be selfish for him to get going, for him to have his moment. I hope he takes advantage of it because I think that this is a, really a, a great opportunity for him. I, I, before we leave Toronto, uh, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Harvey Neville, who got the start over DeAndre Yedlin, um, who, who uh, was celebrating the birth of his second-born son. Uh, congratulations to DeAndre. Uh, we're very happy for him. He was not in Toronto with the team. Harvey Neville gets the start instead. Um, every time this is his first MLS start, but every time that Harvey gets in, we, we're sort of left with this conversation, and that's the one of nepotism. Let, let's talk about it, let's discuss it because I think that, um, while I think you and I are in agreement that a lot of it is unfair, it is something that is constantly discussed and um, it needs to be addressed. I think that Phil and Harvey, for their lot, deserve a lot of credit for the professionalism that they have handled the situation with. Um, but, but let, let's just start with the criticism of his performance, whether we thought that he played well, let's just, before we talk about nepotism or anything like that, let's just evaluate the player as if his father was not the coach of the team. How did we think he did for a first MLS start? I agree. I thought he was solid. I thought he was a positive part of the back line. And not only was he a positive part of the back line, it took him about, let me, let me be honest, it took him about 15 minutes to get acclimated to the MLS speed and where he needed to be on the pitch. But for the rest of the game that he was in, Harvey Neville was not in a bad position. Harvey Neville also made really good efforts up the pitch to combine and make overlapping runs and passes to start attacks from his side and his side alone. And this is why it, it, it infuriates me so much because it's looked at through a lens that 
is unfair. You change his last name Agreed. and the lens is completely different. The perspective is different. It, instead of the coach's son, it'd be a 19, 20 year old right back who's filling in for DeAndre Yedlin and held his own. Instead, it's looked at, oh, this is the coach's son and it's negative and he's not the best player on the pitch. So it's, it's a problem. And I, I really wish people could go back and look at his performance and understand the amount of positives that he had. I had him personally as one of Miami's highest rated performers on the day. And granted, that's not saying much. Nobody was really over above like a six and a half. But I, I think that he was solid throughout the 90 minutes. I don't think he gave up a lot. And as a defender, that's what I'm judging you on more than anything. And I found positives in his offensive game when I went for a rewatch. And I noticed it in the in, in the actual like initial watch of the match. So for for Harvey, I think it was a good start. I think he is prov- going to provide as a very serviceable ba- serviceable backup to DeAndre Yedlin or even to Franco Negri because I trust him on the left side well, too. He had played, that's that's all I will say on his well, performance. He had played we almost the, the entire preseason on the left side too, which was I think the the surprising part for me at least that, that he hadn't been right. preparing there uh, on the right side in the preseason at least. Um, you know, we've seen him in training; it moves back and forth. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't sing praises as much, I think, as you did. Um, I, I think that it was, I think. It was... No, no, he had a, he had a pretty much average performance, just was a little step was, above anybody fine. else who was average. That's it. I think it was good for a first MLS start. I think it was fine for a regular MLS start. The first goal is deceiving because he's there, but it's not his fault. It was the center back's fault. Um, and and fault so I'm all. just going to wash that. It was that well. I would say it's it's more on yeah. I think it's more on Franco Negri and Sergey Kristoff than it is on Neville. I don't think I, Neville I has anything to um, do with it. And you know he had I think he had three interceptions, um, which is solid. Um, and, and you know the the two places that I will go is his positioning was too high, uh, often just far too high. That's natural for a young wing back who has admitted in the past he knows that he goes too high. He's working on it. He's aware of it. That's, you know, thoroughly natural. He will, that, that comes with experience. That is something that all wingbacks, especially right wingbacks deal with. You've seen Serginho Dest deal with that at times. I mean, you've seen Yedlin when he was young in his career deal with that at times. So that, that is something that is very fixable, very understandable. The part that concerns me a little bit is his 1v1 defending. It, he is not very physical with, with, with attacking attackers. He is not very – he doesn't play 1v1s very well. He often allows the runs in to go behind him. Now, that also is something that can improve. Right now, it needs to improve more. If I'm looking for one thing in his game to improve, it is 1v1 defending, 1v1 tackling, 1v1 positioning off ball. And and there is where the largest room for improvement with Harvey Neville lies – that being said, like you mentioned, for a backup right back that currently is on a very team-friendly deal, it is a great, great position to have him in. And like you said, and this will bring us to the, the second part, remove or change the last name, and you'd be thrilled that that right back was your right back as a backup right back right now. You'd be very happy with it. Let me ask you something. How much did we praise, or just not even we, just the general consensus of people watching into Miami, the praise for Noah Allen 
versus the praise for Harvey Neville. And I hate to put them against each other because I'm sure they're yeah. actually, I'm pretty sure they're good friends off the, off the field. But I, in terms of the lenses at which they're looked at, yes, Noah Allen, Weston Kid, Academy Products comes up. Harvey Neville, they're about the same age. Harvey Neville, coach's son. Manchester United Academy, but that doesn't go spoken for either. Um, and I, I think when I assess both of those players and how they started off their MLS, you know, campaigns, I, yeah, I'm not really similar. putting one above the other. And the amount of, I think it's pretty similar. And I think honestly for both of them, for their size and their stature and their age and their inexperience, I am okay with the what, and I agree with what you said, by the way, in the one weakness of his game, but also again, for the size, stature, age, and inexperience for a wingback, <clears throat> that is an okay problem to have, <clears throat> excuse me, right now. So I just, I wish, like I said, I wish it could be looked at through a different lens. I think that he deserves the praise that someone like Noah Allen got. Harvey Neville took his time, not only to, to make it to the first team, but like literally played almost what two second team seasons now between Fort Lauderdale CF and, and Inter Miami CF two to get to this point right? and just got when he's playing for a minor league <laughs> and team, exactly we and things so you know and it's not like he ha it's taken two years to get here right and you know I I also think like we don't follow Austin FC on a day-to-day -day basis. We don't talk with Toronto FC on a day-to-day -day basis. Michael Bradley is obviously in a different portion of his career than, you know, with Bob Bradley, than Harvey and Phil Neville are. But when I talk about Austin FC, I wonder if they deal with Josh Wolf being the coach and Owen Wolf being the exciting young player that he is playing for his dad. I don't hear a lot of the same conversations happening from Austin FC that I do from Inter Miami in terms of this, you know, unearned business and nepotism business. So I, I struggle if how much of it is done in good faith or if it's just very lazy talking points and not actually watching Harvey play. Because I will say that I think that Noah Allen is further along than Harvey is. Um, but with, with injury issues, I would, I would go back I would and forth pick on that. Noah Allen is a left back if we're, if we're just judging them as left backs. That said, um, I, I I'm not I listen. I'm not saying give Harvey Neville a designated player contract and you know sign him to Manchester United tomorrow. I'm saying no, no, no. it's a fine, serviceable right back right now. Like relax, it's okay. It's it's going well. He's not. He's not. He, he's not making Tam money. He's not on DeAndre levels like DeAndre Yedlin's like level of, of salary. He doesn't. He's even not a guy. He, he, and he, he took that long to get his green card last year, too. That's another, like, they've worked to get to this position. So for all the nepotism shouts and for all, lower your expectations as well, because I think that that's where, like, I come from as well. I'm like, guys, this is not our starting right back. This is not a guy who's playing over a thousand minutes this year. This is a guy who's there to fill in when your Tam right back is having a baby or your, Franco Negri, who's been dealing with an issue on and off and still playing through all the matches, is going to need a break at some point in the dog days of summer. You can be okay with Harvey Neville being there. And that is okay. That You don't need to scream these things. You don't need to expect him to, to be the best Inter-Miami player. Just look at him 
as a serviceable right back that's on the roster on a really cheap deal, on a very, very team-friendly deal, as you've mentioned multiple times, and take it that way, just like you do with Noah Allen. It, it's it's really that simple, and I, I wish that it didn't get looked at the way it does. Um, but it's, it's a little frustrating because I, I think they both Phil and Harvey deserve more um, you know, I, I think that no, I'm going to say it. Aside, I, I'm going to say it. I think a, that they unfair. deserve credit for how professional they've been about this. I think that they've been extremely professional about this, at both yeah. of them. And I think that Harvey has only gotten the minutes that he deserves. And I think that both of them have handled this extremely well. Agreed. And and so the shouts of nepotism, yeah, it, it is fine for for it to upset you because I think that the way that they have handled this professionally. From seeing it firsthand day to day, I think that they have handled it extremely well. I actually think, and I would actually go as far as saying Harvey Neville didn't get the minutes he deserved because I t- he got taken off way too early in the match uh, against so Toronto. We, I think he should have been we staying We expect Yedlin to be back, me. but let's talk about this upcoming game with Chicago because a couple of players will be out due to international duty. Joseph Martinez will not be with the club, nor will Robert Taylor. Uh, so, so some big names going to be missing for Inter Miami. That leaves. Let's just start with the obvious. No Joseph up top. No Campana up top. We talked about the offense a little. I mean, I think it's fairly obvious to say that they're going to turn to Ariel Lassiter, um, simply because where else are you going to look? Schneider Borgelin still dealing with a bit of an injury. Uh, Jake Lacava. I don't really know if he's a lone striker number nine. Um, probably more of a winger. Um, probably needs a little bit of a help. Uh, so I think Lasseter is the obvious choice here, um, but it, it's a it's a big miss. I, I will say that Joseph has not had more than 28 touches in a single game of the first four, uh, so he hasn't even really gotten going yet. Um, so they haven't – right. It just goes to show how little they've used the strikers um, or used him as a striker so far. So it might yeah. not be that big of a deal to allow Lasseter these runs, these high runs, and see if you can get in behind a Chicago defense. It's – a little bit on the slow side too, that, that maybe this would wind up being a good time for it. Yeah, I think, I think Lasseter has to start. Um, I don't know what Phil Neville plans to do in terms of the formation. And if you guys hadn't just listened to the last 30 minutes of the show, we <laughs> literally can't figure it out either. Um, and I think it begs the question, if Lasseter is the guy to come on for Joseph Martinez, what, what do you do? Do you, do you throw Lasseter up top? Do you leave Coco Jean out wide? Do you combine Stefanelli and Coco Jean in the middle and put Lasseter out wide? Where where do you look? I mean, it's still going to look like a – I think the 4-1-4-1, at least it'll somewhat look like that. I think Bryce Duke retains his position on the pitch, whether it's going to be in a more advanced or this other 8 role or 8-6 hybrid role, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I think that it's going to be a like-for-like swap. Joseph Martinez comes on or comes off for Lassiter. It's just where does Lassiter play? Does Phil Neville trust him up top? Does he want to keep Coco Jean so far out wide in, when in reality I believe Coco Jean's best moments have come more as an inverted winger, so might as well just play him through the middle anyway. There's a lot to be said for what they can do. A lot of people I've seen have been talking about the amount of times Stefanelli has played as a striker um, in his past experiences overseas. So... I'm not sure what my preference is, to be honest with you. And I don't even know if I necessarily would end up having one. I just think that those three guys need to be on the field together. And if they need to rotate and things need to change throughout the game, I'm okay. Here's my with simple it. question to you. Do you think that 
Bryce Duke can play right mid. Mm. Wow. Um, I'll, I'll, lay, I'll lay out why. Because if he can play right he, mid, basically all uh, these problems are solved, right? You can throw Lasseter up top. You can play it sort of like you have been with Joseph, Coco, and Stefanelli running those hybrids. You can throw Pizarro on the left wing, throw Bryce on the white wing, call it your 4-4-2 diamond, call it a 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to do. You can do the exact same thing if you trust Bryce Duke in that in that position. If you don't, now all of a sudden, who's on the right? Now you throw Coco as a winger. Now you're messing with the 4-1-4-1 that we were talking about, right? Like it all gets very convoluted and very complicated. But if Bryce Duke can play a solid right mid, right? So that that's my question. You just like <laughs> you just like blew my brains there for a second. That is not like, and especially if DeAndre is going to start because you trust him over there on the right side. And I think that DeAndre and Bryce could probably have really that's good combination moments up so and I'm down. If you can, I if you can throw, don't if you hate can trust that. Bryce Duke to play a solid right mid, not a right attacking mid, not a right CDM. Just he, he's your box to box right midfielder, just like you're expecting Pizarro to do. I think you can just call that four four two diamond. Yeah, that's... and I think that you can trust it to 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 go with Lassiter in replace of Joseph. Just call it a like for like, and and I think that you're okay there. I, I would like to see that better than let's say a four two three one with Uoa as a center, you know, as a CDM. Uh, so if those are right, because yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Now with Gregory out, that second center mid is always going to be the question for the remainder of the season, I, I think, because you don't have a natural solution to it. Yeah. And so because of that, the most natural solution to it is Robert Taylor. With Robert Taylor not in, mm-hmm. where do you go? I think you have to go with the most talented player available left. You could go with Kermeshi if you wanted to. We haven't seen him start yet. We haven't seen him play more than 11 minutes in a game it's a big yeah that that would be a big ask because i think his defensive responsibilities just as that midfielder next to John Motta would be it's funny that you far say that. too great um and it, i think we'd see a lot of i even asked him about it this morning and and he had said that that he obviously likes to get forward but he's working with Mota and Uoa to try and figure out responsibilities of being he loves being box to box but to be more of a of a hybrid He's sort of going through the process of doing that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, I, I would say, you know, 60 minutes in, something needs to happen or need to preserve a lead. Sure. Kermeshi comes on, but to start a game, I think you just trust your, trust your guys that you know will provide, you know, you know what they're going to provide pretty much. And now I'm like hell bent on, <laughs> Bryce Duke it's, playing it's right mid because like it, it's, it's the just simplest like solution. it makes a lot of sense. I kind of really hope he goes for it because I want to talk about this next week if he does. It would now make me give you like, the most. I don't know. I need a full circle moment with this solution. Three at the back. Okay. No, because you no. have. The, I mean, Sailor. Well, who and, are you throwing? Sailor. Yeah, you throw in Sailor. You have McVeigh as the left center back. So yep. Sailor, McVay, and Christoph. then you have the two wing backs, and now yeah, you're then, just playing so, a three four three. Yeah, is it, so a three four three. That's the most complicated version. Yeah, so it would be what Yedlin, Negri. Who? So who yeah. are you putting as John Watson, Bryce Duke, yeah. or Pizarro? And then I'm putting Pizarro on one side, and whoever you want, Coco so or Bryce Stephano Duke, and then the other. 
And Lasseter up top. And then Lasseter up top. Oh. Okay. No, I like Bryce Pick as a right mid more in a in a in a four. A yeah, no, no. A, it's I think I think it's too much. But yeah. Oh, but that's not something right. that Phil Neville's afraid of throwing out Correct. there. That's the thing. I have no idea. I think honestly, I know we did like the the MLS madness like last week, but we should just come up with like thirty well, different think, scenarios and like I try and pinpoint the one that Phil Neville's going to get, the get to that prediction Bill down. today. And I was disappointed about it, but um, but but that would have been my like. Do you is it just keep keep it simple, stupid, or is this the you know galaxy brain Phil Neville that's going to go you know wild with it? Um, and right. So th- this is the interesting thing about this I, weekend for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be very – when that lineup drops, like I'm now I, – I wasn't really that excited about the lineup dropping, and I never get that excited unless there's a big thing happening. And there's not even really a big thing happening, but we've made it a big thing. And now I can't wait for, what, well, 6.45 on Saturday because I'm going to be fairness, glued Phil to my has phone. A, has a lovely, lovely um, game that he plays with us where he always puts the wrong formation in terms of uh, what he puts the starting one. Not only that, but he also – yeah, yeah, he's done that, and he's also not all well. Not even well, we didn't even get really a chance to talk to him this week. But if we did, there have been times in the last two seasons where, especially in twenty twenty one, if I'm not mistaken, he would not give out information oh. at all, and it would go so far as to just giving you false information, and he would tell you things leading up to game to game day that just simply were not true, and then putting a player in or taking a player well, out that we had all, no all idea what was happening. So. Maybe it's All better. Maybe it's better that, that we didn't that, say. You know, Phil's no different than every coach in the world that does it. He probably learned it from Sir Alex. Of you course, know? of course. <laughs> um, but but it does it does bring up yeah. the the challenge of this weekend, I think, because Chicago comes in winless. Uh, they gave up two goals in the last ten minutes to fall uh, in a three three draw <laughs> against Cincinnati. Um, Rafa, I'm going to butcher his name, but Chicos, I think is, is how you pronounce it. The center back for them. That's our captain. I, I was listening to their weekly press conference on Wednesday and he was saying how they, he didn't feel that they earned a point. He felt that they lost two points. Um, and that they're very upset about it. They talked about it all week. They talked about it on Sunday. They talked about it Tuesday. They talked about training on Wednesday. So they have a bad taste in their mouth. I'm just going to be honest. This is a Chicago team that is not very good um, with or without the injuries that they have. And yeah, with, so. with the injuries that they have, they're even worse. They do have some players that, that can hurt you. Everybody will remember Chris Mueller from Orlando, Chris Bilko from uh, Philadelphia. Uh, yep. they're, they're both going to play Brian, Brian uh, Gutierrez, like I talked about earlier, is a talented 19-year-old uh, number 10 for mm-hmm. them um, that they have. You know, so they have ways that they can hurt you. Ultimately, I think that this team, though, is probably like wooden spoon contenders this year. And and so, you know, last year you started the season at home against them to a scoreless draw. You lost on the road 3-2 to them. So you haven't beaten this team in more than a year. Um, for me, this is a really uh, important game to establish dominance. I think that this is a type of game where if it's a bit of a struggle, uh, we're going to start to have questions because this is one of the, there's very rarely in MLS, a team that like is coming in 
with not a lot of confidence. You're very good at home. They're pretty bad on the road. They haven't won at all. Like all of the stars are aligning for this to be a Miami dominant opponent or dominating a, a game that it gives me a little bit of concern. If it's not that, that being said, like it's always unfair to put that pressure on a team in MLS where every, you, you, we're going to talk about our March madness predictions in a sec. Like, Anything in, in any week can happen. We follow this this league more than most, and um, yeah. it, it just goes to show the randomness of the league. That being said, I think that this needs to be a thrashing. I mean, I do think that this need it might it doesn't need to necessarily be three four nil. It could be one nil, two nil with a lot of opportunities that just don't go in. But I think this needs to be a dominating yeah. performance. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from this just two-game stretch. I mean, needless to be said, if this game was happening right after the Philadelphia game, you and I are sitting here with no worries going against Chicago. And now, that's even with the Campana, Joseph, Robert Taylor, Gregory thing, even at play, I would still be more confident after the Philadelphia game than obviously I am now. And I think that that's why this is proving to be such a test because – Miami are coming back home. They've established dominance at home in the first two games. Was the dominance real? And I think that the reason why that is still a question is because, as we've talked about, there's no build-up play goals. There's no real good build-up chances that they've created and they've actually converted in these four matches. They're now they were up they were up four goals in two games. Now they finished the road stretch four goals in four games and still no clear-cut chances in order to capitalize on. You come back home, you need to assert dominance. And if you don't, it's looking more like you were a pretender in those first two weeks and you were just off of the preseason hype versus a team that actually can assert their dominance at home and have no problem playing any team at home. You've had the Montreal's, the Philadelphia, Chicago's. I feel like you're getting all three different types here uh, of teams in the East. If you can do that, then it looks a lot better because you are going on the road next week as well. And that's another reason why it's super important. If you aren't going to get points on the road, you definitely got to get them at home. And the fact that you're going away to Cincinnati at TQL, which, by the way, they have had some success at, but I'm not holding them to it. You need to get points here um, before you before you head out again and to, to prove multiple things, but also to yourselves that, yeah, this this those two games that we had, that's not us. We need to prove to ourselves that we are a much better team and what we, we are and what we showed. And this is a bit of the seesaw, right? Two wins to start, two losses in the back end. You're sort of going back and forth, currently sitting at seventh in the Eastern Conference, dead in the middle right here, four points behind Atlanta up top, four points ahead of Chicago on the bottom. You're sort of stuck in the middle with the, with everybody else right now. And and, and this is where yeah. it's going to start to, to figure out, you know, granted, there's 30 games left in the season. There's a long way to go. This is a marathon. This is one of the, one of the longest marathons in the world. Uh, in, in terms of travel, in terms of length of the season, um, in terms of number of games with the added competitions as well, uh, in terms of having games during FIFA international windows like we'll have this weekend, which is still a challenge for MLS, right? So, so this is definitely a marathon. One, uh, one match n- does not make it the season, um, but, but this is an important one to, like you said, establish that you know, Drive Pink has been one of the toughest places to play in all of MLS since it opened. Um, and it, it needs to continue to be that, uh, especially this weekend. That said, I want us to go back to our, our March Madness predictions that, that we were 
uh, that we had. Uh, you're Austin shaking his head. So, so when I when we did this, I didn't think that this is going to sound like I'm backtracking already because I know what the results were. I'm not backtracking already. It's not. Good. I know it's not good. But I didn't think that you were going to hold us uh, accountable for the exact scoreline. Apparently, that was the case. It doesn't mean that I did much better. Uh, or any of us did much better. But that being said, uh, I, I didn't think that my exact predictive score lines were going to be what we had to go with. With that being said, uh, just just lay the damage on us. I mean, I, I didn't go zero and fourteen, which was my my fear, but I came pretty close. <laughs> yeah. So you did not go zero and fourteen, and as you said, I am keeping track of. You know, not only did you get the result right, like in terms of did the team win, lose, or draw, but the score lines I'm keeping track of too. And I will say, out of the uh, (laughs) – no, you didn't get any of the score lines. (laughs) You didn't get any of the score lines. Um, I'll start off with the good, and then we can get to the bad, and we'll just kind of like lay it off like it didn't happen. So the good is Alex did get one of the score lines right, um, and I actually ended up getting – two of the score lines right one of them me and alex agreed on or alex and i agreed on that was the fc dallas sporting kansas city game we both said 2-1 to dallas and you said 1-1 um the second one yeah that that was i remember listening to that when i was doing all of this um the one the other one that i got right was New York Red Bulls at Columbus, which is actually a result that you and Alex agreed on. You both said 2-1 to Columbus when it ended up being – it went 2-1 the other way, and that's what I had chosen. Now, in terms of actually getting, like, just the results right – Because I'm getting beaten up here. I got the biggest upset out of anybody because I got Montreal over Philadelphia. You did, yes, Yes, that is the okay. The yes, that is a huge one because Alex and I definitely did not predict that. We actually predicted Montreal to be shut out (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. You trusted Montreal at home, which was huge. We both said Montreal were getting shut out, so that was your one. You probably get a bonus (laughs) point for that. Um, that I mean, yeah, that was a tough one, actually. Another one that you had gotten right, you said that New York City would beat dc at home which sounds crazy because you shouldn't be the only one to predict that right but out of yep. spite i believe alex picked dc because of yankee stadium and i actually predicted a draw because of wayne rooney you were the one that stayed level-headed and picked I'm new old. york city to win a favorable matchup and that happened so there's that's your second one <laughs> and then the third one you and i agreed on uh was minnesota oh, was beating yeah. uh colorado because yeah, colorado just has not been good um yeah, that was almost a gimme. So, yeah, in terms of just getting the actual, like, win-draw-loss right, Alex got five, you got three, and I only got two. Um, so that didn't really didn't really end up going well at all. And uh, which is – it's just crazy. It's really crazy because out of the 14 games, out of the 14 games in, I got 10 of them just completely wrong. You got 11 of them just completely wrong, and Alex got eight of them completely wrong. And I asked at the oh, end Ricky of the Puig. Galaxy Vancouver game, would Ricky Puig get his first assist? He didn't. He didn't. We all said yes, like and he didn't get the assist. So that just kind of like threw a wrench in everything. So 
Look it was like, Andres what, it was 1-1. in our yeah. chat trying to take credit for, for after the fact, trying to take credit for wins. Our producer, Andres, trying to get... Yeah, he's trying to take so Montreal. Uh, <laughs> great production value here. For anyone watching on YouTube, this will be inverted. This will be inverted for you, but honestly... This is this is the work we do here at the Heron Outlet. <laughs> Having a ton of fun with these predictions. I'm going to make sure I keep this Please chart. Don't. I'm going to keep this chart and tally up our entire season Please because don't. I think it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> next time, next time we do it, we'll right, we'll, we'll, we'll tally them up. A, oh a, man, but it was a lot of fun. Yes. We that's the, it, uh, a very we'll we'll try and we'll do we'll update it. We'll try and do it better good. later on in the season. We'll see if we can. Uh, Get our, once once we sort of know what these teams are, right? Like all preseason predictions are bound to be wrong. This, by the way, is why Alex hates predictions. This is why she never does predictions. Why she hates predictions. Oh, yeah, yeah. He obviously is yeah, yeah, one yeah, of the yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely knowing. Yeah. But Austin, it'll be a good one. I'm I'm excited for definitely. this one. Uh, th- this will be a, a good, good showcase for Inter-Miami uh, to overcome some adversity, to try and show us what they've been building to see how committed that they are um, to, to their style of play. Before we go, uh, just wanted to, again, point out that this weekend is the start of MLS Next Pro. Inter-Miami 2 will take on Chicago Fire B. Uh, 6 p.m. on Sunday. I think tickets are as cheap as 5 bucks. Um, so you can get single-game tickets for 5 bucks for Inter-Miami 2. A lot of very exciting uh, players that Inter-Miami 2 will have. This coming season, Tyler Hall got to talk to him today as he's getting ready for the U-17 World Cup. He will be representing the United States. Um, they signed Brian Destin to, to a contract, someone that all of us are very excited about. Uh, and and really the first press conference with Fede Higuain as the new boss in charge of Inter-Miami 2. The Heronitos are going to have a very interesting style this year as he talked about playing with a definitive purpose. They are not going to be the, that sort of bo- that end-to-end team that we saw so much of last year. Uh, he, he mentioned a lot that he wants to uh, understand Phil's style of play, that the club has a style of play from Darren Powell, right, moving on, that, that he said is very similar to, that they're all in agreement with how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Also prioritizing development necessarily over wins and losses, that this can be a nice progression to the first team, like we've seen the likes of Benha, like we've seen the likes of Noah Allen, like we've seen the likes of Schneider Borgelin and Harvey Neville, um, that this can be a, a process for them. Right. Uh, it, I, I'm, I'm throwing you on the spot here, but, but I guess if there's one or two takeaways that you're excited to watch with the MLS Next Pro season coming up, uh, you know, all the weird things that we talked about last week, the 28-game schedule, um, the, the big signings, they got 20 guys on the roster. That doesn't include C.J. Dos Santos, who will probably start in goal. Cole Jensen, who will get some minutes in goal as well. Right. Um, and obviously the guys that will come down from Inter 2, guys that will come up from the academy as well. Yeah, I think one thing that I, and I think I spoke about it in our chat, that I'm really excited for is the guys who played in the um, – the Academy Showcase, the general uh, Generational Adidas Cups or whatever it was. Last year, Tyler Hall, Brian Destin coming up and now playing for the second team. Those are the guys that I'm most excited to see. And it also gets me excited for April when that cup happens again, the U15 and the U17 tournament for these guys. It's Miami's future is just rolling in and rolling in from, from the ground up. And I think also the, the Haitian community I've heard is really excited about Brian Destin signing a deal. I think that there will be some representation there. 
um, at the, the Inter-Miami CF2 games. So there, it's those guys that I'm most excited for. It's the guys that have been on the U15s and the U17s within the academy coming up to now play for Inter-Miami CF2. We've now had an academy and a club long enough here in South Florida to have those opportunities to build all the way up. Guys like Noah Allen and um, Harvey Neville have not necessarily played for even Ian Frey. They didn't play for like a, a U15 or a U17 team for an extended amount of time. They did have that one cup way back in 2020, but it wasn't for, you know, multiple seasons where they were building up to the second team. It was one season and on to the second team. Guys like Tyler Hall and Brian Destin have been doing it for a couple of years. And to see them progress in this way to sign a professional contract, I think is massive. And it's something that all Miami fans should be excited for. And that's why you tune into this team, because they are your first teamers going forward. They are your Harvey Nevels, your Ian Frays, and your Noah Allens going forward. And again, pay attention to the Generation Adidas Cup as well. That's coming in April, because the names that you learn there are the same names that we're talking about right now. And it's I, I just think is a phenomenal Phenomenal little pyramid. To, One to name watch that we haven't mentioned yet, Modesto Mendez, who I think also um, at center back has has a bright future um, for him and a, a young Cuban uh, boy that yes. that really I think can can have a, a very very bright future in a, in a crowded center back room right now. Uh, some newcomers that just right off the bat that we haven't really mentioned that I just remember from the collegiate soccer days. Lucas Meek comes into Inter Miami too. Uh, this year after uh, going back to the University of Washington. If you'll remember, he was a draft pick of Miami last year, not in the 2022 Super Draft, but the 2021 Super Draft. Mm -hmm. Went back to Washington uh, to play his senior season. He's now with Inter-Miami too. And Nick Sesek, who uh, if you watch the the um, the NCAA uh, Cup for the past couple of years, Nick Sesek, a very talented player for Indiana. Um, he's now signing a, a deal with uh, Inter-Miami too. He'll be in. I expect it'll take him a little bit to get adjusted to the team. Haven't seen him work with the team yet, but liked his play when he was in college. Expect him to have a, a nice uh, nice showing, uh, hopefully, with Inter-Miami 2. Again, that game, Sunday, 6 p.m., the start of their season. It will run 28 games uh, through the regular season. We'll keep you updated. As we know, we'll be at the games. We'll talk to you about the games. We'll have uh, Inter-Miami 2 players on the show. We, we're looking to, to really cover this team like we have. Uh, for the past couple of years, a lot of fun for us to be able to bring you guys in. And then, you know, uh, we hope that you, you enjoy this coverage because, it, it, like Austin said, it gives you a glimpse into the future. We've been covering Noah Allen. We've been covering Ben Ha. We've been covering Harvey for, for the past couple of years, at going to these games on Sunday afternoons and, and seeing them at training, you know, off to the side when, when everybody's focused on the stars and talking about, you know, what what's next big star? Well, these are the next big stars that – you know, David Beckham back in 2018 was talking about he wanted a world-class academy to be a part, a focal point of this club. And, uh, and, and that's what they're doing here. That's why we want to cover it and bring it to you like we did with Chris Barakas uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. The goalkeeping coach for Inter-Miami 2 and the head of academy goalkeeping is there as well. We'll be covering it throughout the season in addition to the first team. The first team will be playing Chicago Fire's first team. Saturday, 7.30 from Drive Pink Stadium. We'll all be there. Uh, you can watch Austin's live stream tonight on Twitch. Austin, tell them about the Twitch tonight. Yeah, we've got a really special guest from Men in Red 97. Alex is coming on. If I, I'm going to butcher his last name, so I'm just going to leave it. Uh, Alex is coming on for the editor-in-chief from Men in Red 97. We're really excited for it. 
Uh, another FIFA pregame kind of thing. It's a little competitive, but also a little fun at the same time. And most importantly, it's very insightful. We go really into the depths about what's going on with Chicago, because, of course, you can't really keep up with 32 teams or however many Close, there are 29. in the league. It'll um, be 29. It'll be 32. It's like, what, 30, 28, 29? 29, 29, 29. Woo! You're already um, giving yeah, I get my Vegas numbers and stuff with that. Diego, I thought and whatnot. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Listen, no, don't well, get us in nah, I'm not going to go that far. Um, <laughs> yeah, <it> was, uh, <laughs> so Alex is coming on. We're going to be talking with him uh, and just going behind enemy lines, just like Ian likes to say when he does uh, your kind of thing when you talk about uh, talk with another reporter from the other side. It's just I think it's a really fun way for us to do it. We have it now on multiple different you know avenues. We are an outlet here, so there are different outlets here. Uh, with us herons you get the wordplay there uh you can you can read on the Substack. you can watch a twitch channel we have a podcast all these different ways to to just come in and, and consume all this content leading up to match days so we're excited to have alex on uh we were excited to have christian on and that went extremely well two weeks ago so uh yeah make sure you tune in twitch.tv slash the heron outlet it'll be live mostly on 6 30 on thursdays but we will send yeah. you and and like uh, austin said multiple ways to get to know your opponent, I'll have a know your opponent written with Joe Chats of ONTAP Sports Network uh, in Chicago coming up on the Substack later this evening. You can watch Austin's stream with Alex, um, uh, and, and that'll be another way. We'll have coverage throughout the weekend. You can follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at the Heron Outlet. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Twitch channel. Subscribe to the Substack. That's always fun. You can uh, make sure you get all the information there. Uh, and did I mention YouTube? I think I mentioned YouTube. Make sure you uh, follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. I think I got everything that time. Oh, and TikTok. I always forget TikTok. Make sure you follow us on TikTok. Andres always doing oh, good work TikTok, on the TikTok. TikTok. Uh, and so we will have it up for you there as well. So many places to follow us at the Heron Outlet. For our producer, Andres, for Alex Winley, he is Austin Roblard. I am Ian Hess, and we'll see you back here this time next week.